one, two, one, two, three, four. Whoa, that was ace. I'm going to leave that in. Anyway, welcome back. Laura Kalbach. No, it's, it's Laura Kalbang. Kalbang. I, I thought it was Kalbung. <laughs> Kawabunga. <laughs> what the hell was that all about? My business bank manager has a problem. I was actually in the bank again yesterday and I overheard him misspelling somebody else's name as well. Someone else had come in to correct the fact that he'd misspelled their name. And last week I had all of my um, letters and things like that after I set up two new business bank accounts sent to Laura Kalbang. And I was wondering why I hadn't received any emails from the bank. And that was because they were all sent to my email address, me at laurakalbang.com, which I don't own, so I don't get any emails that go to there. Is he is he dyslexic, Bagiza? I think he might be, if if he's getting spellings wrong consistently. But it's also the stupid banking system, the way that they print everything out and then you fill in the forms by hand and then they have to type them into the computer again. There seems to be quite a few unnecessary steps in there where if you just entered it into the computer with the person there, they could check it for you and solve the amount of paperwork and trees being killed for it. Do they have to go through loads of security hoops just to make sure that you are who you say you are? I'd already, I'm already with the bank, so I didn't have to do too many. Um, but they do have, you do have to be there in person, which is a pain enough to begin with, to actually have to haul myself down to the bank when I'm used to sitting in my cozy little office uh, at home most of the time, doing everything online. Yeah, they changed our postcode up here. Um, somebody thought that. It will be because well, I mean we live in a little village and it had one postcode and it's had one postcode and no street names for about the last you know thousand years, and then the post office decided that actually we could do with having more postcodes. <laughs> so not only did they put road names in, but they they gave us all new postcodes, and you wouldn't believe the amount of trouble it causes just by changing one digit on the end. It went from LL one eight six EP to six EJ. God, the stuff. I mean, you know, as a business, kind of bad enough. You know, we don't have business cards or, you know, letterheads or anything like that printed. So that wasn't too bad. But just dealing with the bank and credit card companies. Yeah. And you would find that things would bounce. You know, you'd put your address, you go and buy something online, I go buy some apes. And, you know, you put your credit card details in, you put your new postcode in because that's your new postcode. And of course, that's not your postcode that's on the records of the credit card company. Yeah. So you get all these things declined. Oh, man, it's, it must have taken about a year for the whole thing to settle down. Yeah, I'm because I'm just moved, so I'm in the same process at the moment of changing everything over to the new address. And I keep forgetting as well and just hitting deliver with whatever the default address is in there. So last night I had a guy try to deliver a parcel, ring me up and say, you're not in, where are you? And I'm like, oh, no. I'm round the corner because <laughs> we're, we're not that far from our old place. So I had to run down the road to collect my parcel from the delivery driver because I got it delivered to the wrong place. I hate delivery people. I got into trouble with the delivery. I was waiting for a, this is a couple of years ago. I'd ordered a, a Mac and I needed it on a certain day because we, I think we were going away the following day. It's when I got my MacBook Air the first time. And the weather wasn't great like it is this week, actually. Jesus, the wind last night. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, this isn't very topical because this is going to be going out a week after the great storms. But, you know, we can we just pretend. Yeah, chances are they're still going next week anyway. Yeah, I know. Well, I was looking on the on the BBC News and it said that last night was the first of what could be three massive storms coming in. So maybe mm. by the time this goes out and I come back from my little holiday that I'm going on, which is why this is going out a bit late, um, well, hopefully I'll come back to a house with a roof on it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, hopefully... The sea won't have come up to meet our, our place. Well, I mean, if we get flooded up here in Gwanesco, then Prestatin will need an ark or something. <laughs> yeah, we're actually, we're fairly high above the sea level, even though we're not far from the front. Um, but you can hear it. Um, last night, you could just hear waves crashing really loudly because the wind was so high. Yeah, we had to, we had waiting for this Mac to arrive and it didn't arrive and it wasn't arriving when it was supposed to arrive. And I was getting really stressed out about the fact that I needed to take this thing with me. So I'm on the phone to the career company and they're saying, we're really sorry, but the guy can't get down your road because of the snow. I mean, yeah, it had snowed, but it was kind of, you know, it was, it was windy snow. It wasn't exactly, you know, like your big kind of, it wasn't tundra out there. Yeah. Not the kind of thing you have to dig. No, I mean, you know, I actually, you know, you could get out in Sue's car, for example. So gee, the guy said, you know, we can't get down the road. I'm thinking, crap, of course you can get down the road. I can get down the road in a, you know, in a little Peugeot, which is what she had. Right? So in the end, I go and uh, I actually have to meet the courier. I, you know, drive for 20 miles, go meet him in a lay-by to pick up this computer. And uh, anyway, because I'm, I'm grumbly, grumbly, grumbly by this point, I'm grumbling, grumbling on Twitter about bloody DHL, bloody parcel force bloody whatever it was that this person was delivering <laughs> about two days later i get an email from somebody to say and i don't i'm not making this up saying i wish you wouldn't complain about delivery drivers on on twitter that guy was actually my father and he's just recovered from a heart attack and just come back from work <laughs> oh, no. what are the chances he looked this like this sob story about, and he does his best you know and i'm thinking oh god <laughs> what a small world no, but names, though. Names are tricky because you've set everything up. Your business is, what, Laura Calbag Limited? Yeah, that's the one. So, and I'm not, you know, I'm not predicting anything. I'm not sort of, you know, hinting or implying that anything may or may not happen. But, you know, in the future, if you get married or you decide that you don't want to be, you want to be Funkadelic, Laura Funkadelic, <laughs> uh, Laura Disco, I'd be, I'd, I'd be, I'd be Laura Disco. That'd be quite cool, actually, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just choosing your surname randomly. Well, pe- people do that. I I may well want to change my... I, if I did get married, I would keep my surname anyway. Um, but I think that, yeah, if I did want to suddenly change my name to something completely different or make myself more anonymous or harder to find on Google... Um, it, it could cause problems. It could, because I've just... just everything is in my name every username everywhere is just the same laura calbag mm. i mean is this a, an issue that women think about i don't know yeah, it, it maybe if if you were to take someone's name or to uh i think double burial name is something else that people do when they get married mm. well uh leslie jensen inman who's married to sean inman yeah um she did that she double barreled yeah, I think uh, Relly Annette Baker as well. She's married to Paul Annette. Um, so I guess that way you keep some of it, um, but still it's a different name. But um, what about your SEO? 
<laughs> well, exactly. And Calbag, that is some brilliant SEO on Calbag right there. <laughs> it's a very unusual name. So there aren't many um, on there. And I think most of them are me. Where does it come from? Because I was, we'll talk about this in, in a bit, but your grandpa wrote something that you then published and he's got an unusual name. He sounds like an amazing fellow, but where did, what's he called? Raman, Ramanand? Yeah, Ramanand. Where does that come from? It's Indian. Oh, right. Okay. So Kalbag is Indian and, um, yeah, my grandpa, who we call him, well, I don't, I call him grandpa, but everyone else calls him Ram. Um, but yeah, Ramanand is his proper name. Oh, right. Wow. I never knew that. But this, this whole names thing, I mean, we joke about SEO, but it must be an issue. I mean, I've, I've wrestled with names obviously for, for years. So did you read my kind of like, I, did, I wish, yeah. I wish I was a Doyle post. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that now. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back. I'd love to, you know, it'd be the, it would be a really good thing to do, but I'm not going to do it unless it's like a family decision, which, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be. But, you know, I've done the whole kind of, oh, I've been playing with, you know, people calling me Andrew, which, you know, is interesting, but, you know, I'm not kind of precious about it. But all of a sudden you start to think, blimey, you know, what am I searching for? You know, <laughs> what are people finding you under? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, very, very tricky. I remember when I was younger, I always wanted to, um, I always thought about changing my surname when I was older, particularly professionally, just because it was something that people would always pronounce wrong or um, they'd assume things about you because your surname is different. And so I, yeah, wanted some kind of way to have control over that. Um, but yeah, the older I got, the more I decided that actually I really like it. Um, I like being, it being different and I, I like the family that I come from. And so I, I'm happy with that. Clark's just such a boring, I mean, apologies to any Clark's that might be listening because, you know, it's your name, not mine, but it's just so dull. Your version's got an E on the end, though. That's a little bit exotic. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's an exotic E. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I just think we should just go go hell for leather and um, and funkadelic. Yeah, we could all just we could be like uh, musicians and do everything under pseudonyms. I don't know why we don't do that. Well, on the web, you'd think that more people might as well. But I think that when we are communicating with people on the web, there is something to having a real person there and a real name. And that's actually why I, one of the reasons I decided I wanted to have my own name as my limited company name and not come up with something clever. Uh, partly because I'm not very good at coming up with things that are clever like that. But also because I want people to know that they're working with me. And it's about a personal service. It's about having the one-to-one relationships and I think that's a nice thing to promote. I'm not trying to hide behind the illusion, not that I'm saying anyone else does, but hi- trying to hide behind the illusion of being a company bigger than I am. It is just me, and I want that to be a selling point. People do that, though. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, the, the whole saying we when you mean me thing drives me mad. I I, I don't see the point. It, it just makes people look foolish if they refer to themselves as if they're plural when they're not. People hide behind all kinds of things. I think I, I, I hid behind the nickname for a long time. Mm. You know, I think when, when did I join Twitter? 2006. So, you know, I don't know, but I would probably be more likely to have got Andy Clark at that point. Um, but no, I, I hid behind the nickname for a long time. It always, it became a, a persona in yeah. a way, you know, a kind of grumpy, largely aggressive kind of, thing and uh 
I, I did that for a while. I think maybe it makes you consider more how you're communicating with people when you're doing it behind with your real name as well. It's like leaving comments on a site um, anonymously. You can say whatever you want, um, but it doesn't have as much integrity. I did that. I saw Mark Bolton tweeting the other day, or was it yesterday, about um, – it'll be a week ago when people hear this. And he was tweeting about his signature and about how it was just like a spasm rather than, uh, you know, neatly kind of written out. Mm. Um, and my signature is the same. My signature is just like a big A, and then it just deteriorates into like a random series of squiggles. And I have to kind of remember um, the sequence of squiggles when I'm signing something official. <laughs> you know, if I'm signing the back of a check or, you know, my new passport. I got my, I got my driving license replaced because I lost the paper part. Oh, yeah. And you need to, uh, you need to have both parts when you rent a car in America, which is what I'm going to do. So, uh, I had to get that done. So I had to remember, you know, what my signature should be like. Cause I just, it just tails off because I never, I never wanted to sign a surname. I suppose it says a lot about sort of psychologically. I never wanted to actually sign Clark as a surname. So over the years, it just deteriorated into this kind of like undiscernible line, wiggly line. And that's interesting because mine is the complete opposite. My my signature is pretty much me writing my name. I just put my initial in there as well. And it's exactly the same as my writing. Mm, no, I know Alex's signature is the same. He's, he writes it Alexander P. Clark, you know, and there's a dot after the P. Yeah, I do the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just seems more official when you have a middle name in there. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's interesting. No, it's you know, God, I don't know how to open up a can of worms, but uh, there are considerations. I think when you know you're choosing a business name or you know a Twitter name because you know you're going to be stuck with it, aren't you? Really? Yeah, I'm quite pleased that I used more anonymous names when I was a teenager on the web because I don't necessarily want people being able to Google search my name and discovering all my teenage angst. Oh, <laughs> my, go on. Things like that. Go on. Nobody's <laughs> listening. You can tell me. <laughs> oh, no, I had a variety of... I can't even remember a lot of things. I'm oh, sure terribly embarrassing things. Um, but yeah, because when I really started using the web and MSN Messenger was a very big thing, um, was maybe when I was about 14 or 15 when I really got into it. And we were using forums and things in our, in, at school. And yeah, I, I dread to think what's on those kinds of things now. You're going to have thousands upon thousands of people Googling for that now. <laughs> All the thousands of listeners. Yeah. yeah the hundreds of thousands. Actually, no, I shouldn't exaggerate. <laughs> Just in case there's any sponsors <laughs> listening that, oh, that much. so we should do a sponsor on that subject. Our first sponsor this week is Scotch on the Rocks, which is a conference for web technologists that's taking place on the 5th and 6th of June this year in the beautiful Scottish capital of Edinburgh. Ooh. I know, not been to Edinburgh for a couple of years, actually, but it's lovely up there. I've never been to Scotland. What? I know. It's I know ridiculous. you're living in Brighton now, but you really should get out more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going up north quite a fair bit in the next few months, but not quite as far north as Scotland. Well, last week I was talking about the Dot York conference that yeah. you're speaking at. I'm um, looking forward to that. I've never been to York either. Your ears are going to pop when you get that far north. <laughs> I'm used to going to Newcastle. I have lots of family in Newcastle, so that's, that's pretty north. 
Now we'll let you off. So Scotch on the Rocks, it focuses on web development, best practice and human experience. And it's bringing together some of the brightest speakers on those topics from around the world. Speakers include Bruce Lawson, Anna Shipman, Matt Gifford, Kit Hodgson, and about 20 more over a full two days. Actually, I really love the title of Bruce's talk. Um, Do you dare tour the sausage factory? <laughs> Genius. Um, and that's going to be about how standards are developed. And, you know, knowing Bruce, it sounds like a lot of fun. And there's somebody called Andy Clark speaking as well, but he's not me. He's, uh, he's, he's a lot cleverer by the looks of it. <laughs> the uh, other Andy Clark. He's talking about, well, there you go. You see, talking about names, people getting confused, people turning up there expecting to, you know, hear somebody talk about comics. Um, and this guy's going to be talking about technical debt. Is your code base a- approaching the fiscal cliff? Ooh. Which, of course, is exactly the kind of thing that I would talk about. It, it must be very confusing to people. Me being quite so intelligent. <laughs> Scotch on the Rocks has an interesting pricing model. The more tickets get sold, the more you get for your money. So, for example, if 150 people attend, there's a free bar. Well, there's an incentive. Tickets cost just £155 plus VAT for the full two days, and that includes all-day refreshments and your lunch is included as well. So that's a good deal. That sounds like a very good deal. I like the, what, what they're doing with the amount of tickets sold too. That's a very realistic approach. Tickets cost £155 for the, for the full two days. Um, so if you want yours, which you should, go to unfinished.bz slash scotch on the rocks to get yours. I think it's nice having you on on a more regular basis, not just because, you know, you're cool. Disco. <laughs> Funkadelic. <A> disco. <laughs> Funkadelic. But we can kind of continue conversations over, you know, a few weeks, which is nice. Yeah. Just rather than having, you know, like, oh, like a little flash of, of, of brilliance and then it goes away again. <laughs> and we were talking last time about kind of business ethics and you know, what we do and what we don't do. Yeah. And, you know, what we'll do for people and what we won't do. And you then wrote something on the pastry box about that. Yeah, I was, I kept thinking about it as you we were going on. And so I decided to write a post about it because a lot of people, when I was talking to them about it, they sort of, it was very much about money. And I think I tweeted about it and I had a lot of people saying, well, yeah, it's all very well if you, want to make those kinds of decisions but for some of us we have to prioritize money and yeah of course i have to prioritize money because otherwise i wouldn't be able to feed myself well people Um, say that they say oh well it's okay with you know you in your situation you know you can afford to turn these things down but actually i don't know anybody that can no um who's who's making that kind of money Uh, um i'm i'm making what i'd consider to be a good living but I couldn't afford to turn down everything that came my way. Otherwise I would starve. So I have to be sensible. Um, I have to, everyone has to have that balance of deciding what's worth it. And so I wrote my post about that, about considering what you're endorsing. So like we, we talked about considering um, whether you want to promote the thing that you're working on. Um, and yeah, just, Maybe I was quite idealistic, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we need to at least start out idealistic. Then we can temper ourselves a little bit. I don't think that there's any harm at all in, I mean, I don't think it's even, you know, even as strong as taking a stand, really. I don't think it's like, you know, it'd have to be on, on some great cause 
You know, it's not like you have to be championing something. It's just, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'm not going to do it. It can yeah. be as simple as that. Well, you don't even have to say that that's the reason why you're turning it down. You no, can... I, I rarely do actually. Yeah. Neither do I. I normally try to find ex- excuses. Um, reasons why i i'm not suitable for the project rather than the other way around the kind of it's not you it's me (laughs) well you never want to make somebody feel bad even if you think that they're not doing the right thing and you know i don't ever want to come across as kind of preachy or judgmental or anything like that and hopefully you know the ethical statement that we put on the website you know it's, it's clear yeah but it's not kind of i mean you know people bang on about stuff all the time um and that just becomes boring yeah, I, I think I think it's important to speak out about the things that you care about. But once people have got the message, um, I think you you don't have to keep hammering on at them. So you then followed that post up. Yeah. So the brilliant thing about having my family on Facebook and things like that is that my eighty-seven, soon to be eighty-eight-year-old grandfather is on Facebook too. He can't quite get the hang of Twitter yet, which I'm going to show him when I next visit. But he's very good at Facebook. And so I posted a link to my post up there and he wrote me a response. Um, he's in the habit of writing essays um, as responses because he says it helps keep his little grey cells working. And it's brilliant because I just had this fantastic, lengthy, well-referenced, philosophical response uh, it was amazing we were three paragraphs in and he's talking about philosophers yeah and this is i mean this is how a conversation with him generally goes (laughs) he's he's incredibly intelligent man and he's very well read he's always been into um speaking and debates and he has a scientific background academic background so i think that it's it's in his nature and and he loves it. And so when I asked him, Grandpa, this is really valuable stuff and it's really interesting. Do you mind if I share it with my friends on the web? And he was like, of course, <laughs> there's no problem to him. I think it's just really, really cool. The thing that I think, what, what was his key message? His key message was that it's not, it's very easy to say these things uh, idealistically. It's very easy to say, I definitely won't do that. But there are points at which we we may have these grey areas and these points where we need to balance things and sometimes be a bit selfish. The example that he gave is if your um, child is to benefit from a drug uh, because they are dying, um, that other people have been hurt in the creating of that drug. Um, where would you stand then? And all of these things that would yeah, be very difficult to decide and you inevitably are going to go with the selfish reason. And so we need to think about these grey areas and not always decide to align ourselves to one position or another. We have to be scorekeepers. We have to be able to take the different points and actually make a reasoned decision based on all the evidence available to us. And of course, we won't always have everything. We won't always know everything about everything. So really, it's stupid to make a decision that's based strongly in one camp or another. But what we can do is we can say, based on what I do know, I think that this is the right thing at this time. I think that's (laughs) a a vaguely reasonable summary of what's a much better written essay. 
No, it was. It was. It was brilliant. I mean, I think it was about being pragmatic. Yeah, completely. And it is interesting because you know I've always, always, always objected to, for example, you know, medical experiments on animals. Yeah. I've never been a hardcore anti-vivisectionist. You know, I don't want to kind of you know burn down labs or liberate chimpanzees. But you know, I object to it.、Mm. And you know, you talk to people, and you might express that opinion. And you know, the thing that they always say would be, "Yeah, but what happens if your child was ill? You know, you'd want them to have that drug." And then, of course, well, what are you going to say? Yeah. What are you? You're not going to say, "Well, actually, no. I think chimpanzees are far more important than mine." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's it is it's it's a tricky one. The thing that I got out of this, and you know, been thinking about it since, is that what we do though isn't necessarily life or death. You know. <laughs> If I just choose not to support something or endorse something, as you were saying before, well, you know that's a personal choice,、um, and yeah, you know what? It may not have an impact. It may not have an impact on somebody. You know, me not working for an anti, you know, for a,、um, you know, a medical uh, experimentation clinic, uh, facility, whatever, it's going to have no make no difference to them whatsoever. You know, unless I do something stupid, you know, kind of like try and organise a boycott, or you know, oh, all web designers should boycott this or do that or the other, because that's just you know, me not working for somebody is probably going to have no impact on them at all. But you know, I might feel better about it. Yeah. You know, and if I make that personal choice, then you know, it's 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 really about me, and you know, the business is an extension of me, I suppose. Yeah, it's about what you put out. It's. I think we also get the kind of work that we work on.、Mm. So if you want to keep working with,、uh, yeah, people that experiment on animals and things like that, then by all means go and work on those kinds of projects. But if you'd actually rather be working on projects that are about、um, helping education or、um, sort of cultural and social needs, then go do those kinds of projects, and then you'll get more of those projects. And it really does work like that. No, it, it really does work like that. I think that we've been surprised recently again by the amount of people that we get, the amount of inquiries that we get that are asking for kind of more graphic design branding stuff, and that's because you know people come to the portfolio and that's what they see.、Mm. So we don't get a lot of you know hardcore technical inquiries falling through the door. Yeah,、um, which is actually really good. I want to talk about one that we got later on, but.、Um, No, I think you're absolutely right. I just thought it was so cool that your grandpa wrote that, and then you could publish it. Because yeah. Because how often does that happen? Yeah, and I kind of I feel like it's a shame because he writes a lot of essays that they're not going anywhere. That people aren't necessarily being able to appreciate the kinds of things that he's writing. So I might actually look into doing something with that later on in the year when I see him. If、I、only we knew、too. someone that could set him up a blog. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> If only there was someone that could do that. But no, it's nice. Remember, we both went to handheld back in November. Yeah. And do you remember those two little kids? Oh yeah. That stood up and did that brilliant open letter to the internet.、Mm. Well, you know, it wasn't anything that we haven't thought or heard before. But when you hear it in a different voice, you know, when somebody else says it, that makes such a difference. It, it it's just that we don't have the most diverse industry, and so it is really nice to actually 
hear from people from more diverse backgrounds, be that age or whatever. So we should do another sponsor. And this time it's Espresso, the, uh, the text editor. Oh, I love Espresso. I mean, it's the, it's the editor that I've used to write code every day for about as long as I can remember. And I've used it so much that, I mean, I just can't imagine using anything else to write my HTML and CSS. It's got the tools that I need to make writing and editing code simple and efficient. So, you know, because I write a lot of CSS, as you can imagine, Espresso's got Mac Rabbit's CSS edit tools built right in. It's got CodeSense, code folding, smart snippets, drag and drop navigator. They'll all help you write better code in much less time. So I find myself using the project-wide search and replace quite a lot. You know, when I'm working with Hammer and then I want to replace those Hammer variables with, you know, some Perch PHP, something like that. Nice. Do all that all the time. Um, and then when you're ready to see how your work's going to look in a browser, Espresso also includes a, actually a really good web preview feature, and it's got this thing called X-Ray, so you can see how your HTML and your CSS affects the pages that you're building um, because it visualizes things like margin and padding, which is always useful. Mm. Um, and it helps to quickly find and edit the relevant styles for any doc, any element. Then when you're ready, you can sync and publish your work up to a web server with Espresso's built-in tools too. It's brilliant. I've tried other text editors, but, you know, I always find myself coming back to Espresso. I can't imagine using anything else. So Espresso is available from unfinished.bz slash Espresso, and it's only $75. But listen to the show, you can get a fantastic 10% off by using the offer code UNFINISHED at the checkout. And that's Espresso. And then they got, do you know what sold it to me? Was that the splash screen. I remember firing up the, the free trial that they had at the time. I don't know whether they still have a free a demo version. And I fired it up and the splash screen is designed by Vila Peters. Oh, nice. I know. And that was it. Boom. I didn't need to see anything else. I didn't care about anything else. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It's very popular with a lot of designers, I think, because it is so is much more beautiful than similar apps. And I've written my own theme. I've, I've well, I didn't write my own theme. I I changed somebody else's theme to you know meet my needs a little more. Oh, so um, you can change it so that it suits you better. That's pretty mm, cool. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Um, and I like my code editing uh, light text on dark background. Yeah, much better for your eyes. I mean, when you're staring at text all day, that's how I like to work. Anyway, we got this request for a proposal. I had a really, really nice lady on the phone earlier on this week, um, and she'd been recommended by somebody else, which, you know, that's great, isn't it, when that happens? Oh, it really is. I mean, you know, we're not, you know, out of the woods yet. The job's not exactly ours, you know, without, you know, working for it. But you know when you've had a recommendation that, you know, you are more in with a chance of doing the job than if it's just kind of coming to you cold when people are emailing 20 different companies. And that's why I was very kind of you to recommend two people to me this week. Well, you know, I would much rather recommend somebody that I know and trust, not blowing smoke, but, you know, I'd much rather do that than have them go off into the wilds of the internet and potentially waste their money on... Somebody that wasn't any good. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I have a group of um, front-end developers, like specific freelancers that I know that if someone comes to me asking for a front-end only job, which I tend to not really do very often, I'll pass them over to 
one of these people who I know will do a fantastic job and do work that I would be really proud of if I did it. So I see that as a good way to recommend them. Well, I just don't, I mean, you know, you're not going to get every job for lots of reasons. And sometimes we're too expensive. You know, there's just, there's no question about it. You know, sometimes people don't have the budget. Um, and yeah, that's it. What the worst thing, things that really <laughs> annoys me, not only one of the things that really annoys me, lots of things really annoy me, <laughs> as you might have guessed. I don't know whether you've heard. <laughs> Couldn't tell. About some of the things that annoy me. <laughs> but when you get somebody that says to you, ah, oh, well, you know, yeah, um, I don't have a lot of budget because I spent it um, on, you know, getting a crappy website done before and it really doesn't work and now I want it done properly. Yeah. And you just want to go, oh, man, you muppet. You yeah. Know, why didn't you talk to me before? It, it is it's a really hard situation because you really want to help that person and you really want them to have not gone through that experience either because I think that a lot of designers and developers can get a bad name just through what other what they've experienced through not very good designers and developers people that don't know how to deal with clients properly well this particular lady that was on the phone this week she wasn't like that i mean you know they've, they've got a nice budget and i think it's going to be a you know a really stonking job but she sent through the uh the the rfp the brief and there was a few things in there that um they didn't sit well with me hmm. um and I actually, it was quite funny. I spent some time last week or the week before actually writing a brief for a website, believe it or not, because our a financial advisor, Adam, his company, I don't know what it is with financial advisors, but often maybe it's because of the regulator or something like that. But a lot of them, they don't have their own websites. They kind of sit inside somebody else's big portal almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And anyway, they're taking themselves out of that. They're taking the business out of that and they're developing their own thing. So he wanted a website and actually he did say, you know, can you do it? And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to confuse our relationship in a way. Yeah. And you know, not quite that whole don't work for friends and family thing, but I pay him for his services and, you know, and I just, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. No. But anyway, so what I said was, I tell you what, I'll spend half a day with you. Um, and we'll actually go through, you know, I'll do all of the, you know, kind of early interview fact finding stuff that I would expect to do with any client. I'll do that with you. We'll spend half a day. Um, and we'll use that to write a brief for a website and you can then give that to a bunch of people. Mm. And then I gave him names. I gave him half a dozen, um, people to contact. You know, these are the people don't, you know, don't, don't, don't go on Google. Don't look in yellow pages. Don't look for anybody locally. God forbid. You know, these are the people that you, you know, that you should be talking to. And here's the brief. And it, you know what? it was really interesting to actually sit and write. I wonder whether I could publish it. Oh, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Cause that could be some good guidance for your potential clients as well. Mm, Cause I wrote it from a designer's point of view. Yeah. I must have it knocking about here somewhere. I'll try and dig it up. Um, so yeah, it was quite interesting. Anyway, so I get this brief through and you never know how much time somebody's spent on it and how much of them and their particular requirements are in the brief and how much is just cut and paste. Yeah. Cause you know, if they've maybe had a project before or they know somebody that's had a website, it's like, oh, can I just, you know, base it on your brief? 
Yeah, there may be templating systems for these things out on the web. Well, that's one of the reasons why. Because I thought about, you know, when I did the brief for Adam and I thought, is that something that I want to put out like a boilerplate? Like, you know, we've got the contract killer. Mm. And then I thought, do you know what? No, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to have it as a boilerplate because, you know, I want people to not cut and paste it and put things into a brief that, you know, don't need to be there. Yeah. And well, projects move so quickly and designs, the requirements vary so hugely. And then maybe in a year's time, it'll be quite out of date as well. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to be, you know, I wouldn't want to put something in there that was over specific. Mm. Um, so anyway, this lady sent a brief over and second point, you know, uh, 20, 30 bullet points on this thing. And second one down was, was the one that, sort of piqued my interest <laughs> let's say politely it says here we need two or three example templates to be provided with the initial proposal oh two or three as well you're already being asked for work and and also three versions of something i know which you know we i think have we talked about spec work before i'm no i'm not sure we have actually i don't think anybody's going to be surprised at our objection to doing it <laughs> yeah so that was the first thing. And there was a bunch of technical issues in there as well. Um, we don't need to go into the details of, but there were some things that were confusing and I didn't know. Um, and, you know, integration with a couple of backend systems and things like that, which, you know, to be honest, it's not really our thing. Mm. Anyway, I, I picked up the phone and spoke to the lady um, and said, you know, I got briefed through. There's a few things that um, I'm uncomfortable with. And I thought just it was a better idea just to, to just to pick up the phone rather than, you know, bang it down in an email. Um, and I explained to her about spec work. And I actually said, you know, asking that is it's not something that any pro- any web professional should be asked to do. Mm. You know, it's not it's not actually a reasonable thing because, you know, not only are you asking people to work um you know, on spec before they, you know, before they've been hired, but also, you know, actually what you get isn't going to be valuable to you. No. And this is why. Um, and I explained to her that, you know, listen, it's just going to be superficial. You know, how can somebody solve your problem by putting together a few pretty pictures of websites? Yeah. And do you know what? She totally got it and said, and I said, is this going to be a, an issue? Is it, you know, is this going to be a roadblock? Because, you know, I want, you know, I'd rather find that out now before we, you know, we both waste any time. And she said, no, that'd be fine. No, we, we don't, we, we won't expect that. That is, that is very good. I've, I had a similar um, thing last week. Um, a friend, actually, a company that he works for has, um, are looking for a brand redesign. And they were saying, oh, well, these other companies, they, they want like five grand just to show us a few ideas. And so I went through the process of explaining that that's probably not the way that that, you, that they want to work, that they want to find a designer that they can build a relationship with that will understand them. So if you want some initial work, you need to expect to pay for it, but maybe ask them to spend a few days doing research, pay them for that, and then maybe present some ideas that you will expect to be incredibly rough starting points so you can discuss that and decide from there whether you want to carry on working with them. And of course, it it all needs to be paid for. And yeah, I think once you do explain this, these to people, they do understand. They do get it. They can't be expected to know everything uh, up front. No, because we, we, I mean, I think I talked about this last week. You know, people don't, they're not experienced necessarily in, you know, the way that we want to do stuff. Yeah. 
So, no, and she was fine. And I just thought, you know, it's actually better. I didn't want to sit there. I didn't want to bash off an email because, you know, the initial sort of reaction is, oh, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, and then, you know, oh, do I just, do I just write back and go, you know, well, actually, I think that's, you know, not very nice. Um, or, you know, I looked through all of the, the technical stuff and, you know, the job is actually quite technical. There's a few, there's a few bits in there that, you know, I'm still unsure as to, you know, how we'd handle. Yeah. The design part of it got no problems with that at all you know i think we could you know we could just have that for breakfast but the technical side of it i'm thinking oh okay so i could just have bashed off an email going i'm really sorry but i just don't think this is for us it might be a bit too technical but i thought no i'll pick up the phone and i think that we don't do that enough you know it's, it's easy to hide behind an email a lot of the time and you know when i picked up the phone i could hear her voice and get her reaction yeah and know that it was okay rather than, you know, it's so easy to misinterpret things when it's written down. It's, yeah, you, I think especially when you're starting out in a client relationship as well, it's really important to be able to see them and get a, a good feel for what they're like as a person to be able to know how best to work with them. So the other thing about this brief that concerned me a bit was that um, it's for an e-commerce store. Right. And Obviously, you know, my thought, my first thoughts are going to turn to Shopify, but there's a, there's a load of stuff in this brief that I'm not exactly sure. I mean, somebody might tell me, um, and I'm sure if I actually, you know, spent some time looking, I'd be able to find out, but there's some things in here that I, you know, to be honest, I don't know what, whether Shopify will do it. Mm. I don't know whether it has that facility You know what it's like with these things. You know, there's a million and one plugins or add-ons or something that somebody turns around and going, oh, there's an add-on for that. And you're going, oh, stupid me. Things like, you know, they want to have um, a login, a trade login, so that when, you know, uh, an existing customer or a trade customer logs in, then it shows a different price. You know, all that kind of stuff people want. I don't know whether it can do that. The other thing that they've done in this brief is that they've, they've done quite a bit of design work in their own heads, which is always a difficult thing <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, so with. they already know what they're after and quite specific. Yeah, every page should have a breadcrumb. Well, no, every page should not have a breadcrumb, thank you. In fact, I think breadcrumbs should die. Breadcrumbs are, am I right in thinking breadcrumbs are like just an admission of, oh, crap, I don't know how to like organise my navigation anymore? It, it does rather depend on the complexity of the site, I think. Um, I think it may actually, there's a few, um, search engine optimization posts knocking about that say this is one of the things you must have. Um, and so if they got their guidance from there, that might be where it came from. I hate breadcrumbs trails. I think it depends on something like Amazon. A breadcrumb trail can be quite useful because you can, you can see where you've been, how you got to where you are and go back to view similar things in that category, that group. I don't design Amazon, so I can be. <laughs> yeah, it really depends <laughs> on what. It's, it's one of those things you can't just say good or bad. You need to, so depending on the project. Okay, well, let's channel your grandpa then. Like, <laughs> yeah. Be pragmatic about the use of breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah. It's not black or white decision. He's clearly influenced me this week. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. But you see people have breadcrumbs and there's like two links in it. And one of them is home. Yeah. I said, what is the point of that? I mean, I can understand if you're like seven levels deep inside a website, but then, you know, if there's seven levels deep, I'd want to question whether you've done your kind of information structure correctly. Yeah, I would wonder that. Anyway, back to, <laughs> back to this brief. There's, yeah, the stuff in there that I don't know how to do. And I don't know whether the CMS is going to be able to handle that. You know, I don't know whether or not one single CMS 
he's going to do the whole thing. Anyway, you know, do we need a combination of, I don't know, making this up, but, you know, Shopify and Perch or, you know, Shopify and WordPress or something? Mm. I, I don't know. It would take me time. And obviously this lady expects me to get back to her with an estimate. And we, we, I've started calling them estimates because I don't really want to call it a quotation anymore. Yeah, I, I call them estimates for the same reason. Um, because I think that a, a quotation is almost like a, a, a final fixed price. It's like, well, that's what you're going to get. That's like, no matter how much we work, we will do it for this price, is what it yeah. sounds like it's saying to me. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've called them estimates, particularly in the early stages of a, of a relationship, because I don't think that necessarily the first quote that you give somebody should be the, you know, the only one that you go with. Yeah. Because, you know, you say to somebody, look, this is, this is how much I think it's going to be. I think you, we're going to spend four weeks. It's going to be. And that gives them an idea as to what they're going to be hopefully budgeting for. You know, we might be way over, we might be way under, something like that. But, you know, that gives them a broad idea. And then when you sit down and actually go through with them exactly, you know, what this thing's going to involve and how long it's going to take, well, you know, I think there should be an opportunity to go back and actually kind of firm up that price. Yeah. Clients don't often expect that, though. They often think that the first price that you give them is is going to be the final one. Yeah, sometimes for that reason, I might give a client a few estimates. So I'll say... Well, if you wanted to go further in depth and maybe add X, Y, Z on, then it would be this. And if you want to um, use this particular CMS, then it would be that. Um, because that's a, posi- a position where you, you can offer a bit more choice and establish something that's a bit better for their budget. Um, so that's what I've done before. But I'll also change them afterwards. And if they say, oh, that's a bit much, then I'll go, well, let's look at what we can cut out then. How much time would you say that you will allocate to a single estimate? I mean, what's your kind of maximum time that you think, oh, it's okay if I spend, you know, what, half an hour, an hour? I'll normally be trying not to spend more than an hour, but I'll often it will be about two hours, I think, because I just want to be fairly sure of things at first. But then what I'll also do is I'll factor in research and planning into my estimate. So I'll add that as an item. And to make it very clear that I'm not pre-researching that much, um, to make it clear that I that will be the first stage is to actually establish what is the most appropriate solution in terms of CMSs and things like that. Because this is the thing. We did a, an estimate. Um, we didn't end up doing the job, actually, but did a, a quite a detailed estimate before Christmas, which was a kind of an e-commerce thing. And... You know, I had to get some other people involved. I had to get uh, Keir from Shopify involved just to answer some questions and tell me w- whether or not, you know, Shopify would do what the client needed. Um, and I think I ended up spending about half a day on that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the first inquiry. You know, it wasn't the first quote that I'd given them. It was a kind of a second round firmer estimate. But it just occurred to me yesterday when I got this thing through, it's like, well, how much time should we spend on something as a pitch? And also, how much information, how much research should I do and how much information should I give over before it becomes kind of free consultancy? Yeah, that they take that on to and with another designer and actually start using all of that research that you've done with somebody else. Well, I suppose I, mean, I don't have to tell them, do I? I mean, I could say, you know, well, I think Shopify and plugins will do this, but I don't actually have to list out everything, you know, and tell them up front. But... Whether I tell them or not, I've still spent that time doing that research. Yeah, 
you know, should I do that? And I, I tweeted about this yesterday. Um, and Drew McClellan came back to me and said, you know, when they used to do client work, they used to actually have a research budget and they would, people would pay them to produce the specification for and the job. That seems sensible. Ah, man, all of a sudden the lights came on. Yeah. Because I, I remember one of the reasons that I don't do big long proposals, I don't tend to do, um, the responses to requests for proposals because when I started out, I, one of the first projects, there was someone that I worked, a friend of a friend that had a big company and they had this request for proposals. So I spent days trying to do something really impressive because I was just starting out. And so I wanted to make sure that it was something that was actually professionally competitive. And after all of that effort and going to talk to them about it in person in London and then coming back and then not getting the job. And I just, it was so disheartening. It was so much time wasted. And really, they'd not given me that much to go on. So it was just, it was a moon on a stick kind of stuff. It was made up, pulled out the air. I've just found the brief that I sent to Adam, the brief that I wrote. Mm. This isn't bad, actually. I should do something with this. Even if you just share it as a case study or something, that could be very useful. I actually wonder what somebody's going to think when they get this. <laughs> anyway, so I broke this down as like a one paragraph introduction about what the company does. And then two or three paragraphs on the objective for the new site. Yeah. I talk about personas and I say we haven't yet complete created detailed user personas, but these are broadly the type of people that we work with. And I list those out. Then I go into site content and I actually, we did some work on, uh, breaking down, um, how the information should be structured. And I was, I was a bit troubled by this because I didn't know how much detail to go into. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to do the thing where I'm kind of pre-designing it. I don't want to be kind of over prescriptive. Yeah. Because you're always wary when you get a site, uh, get a, an email from a client that set a potential client that says, and we need five pages. Yes, exactly. And we're looking at the one from the lady this week, and it says, the last bullet point here, testimonials should be included on the homepage, which rotate with a time delay long enough to read them. <laughs> yeah. So, and we've seen that kind of thing a million times, but, you know, please don't tell me to put a carousel on, on the homepage. <laughs> yeah, Brad Frost would be very upset. That was kind of went through, and I, but I did break it down, you know, and I, I went here, you know, we've, we've conducted a short survey about what, what our customers would like to do on our website, and these include, and then there's like six main bullet points as to what the, the response from that, um, that research was. And I got Adam to, you know, he was holding an event the week after we met, and he actually went and he had a survey that he asked people at this event to fill in, you know, customers about what they do on his website or would want to do on his website. Um, so I thought that was quite good. Yeah, that is really useful. What did I sort of put here? Um, the fact that they want a holding page set up before they, you know, the design starts properly and what that's going to include. Uh, technical considerations. Oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. We know that browser support doesn't mean that our website will look the same on all browsers and devices. Our target browsers are, and then I gave them a list. Oh, that's nice. Cause he didn't have any spec, he didn't have any, um, statistics though. Cause obviously he's not had his own analytics before so he can't tell what people are actually using on his site no but i did put here you know latest chrome latest opera latest safari latest firefox internet explorer 9 10 or 11 
So hopefully somebody's going to look at that and go, <laughs> sorted. Yeah, someone's going to go, that sounds like a great jump. Um, what did I put here? Yeah, our website should be developed with content, small screen, first principles in mind, so it loads quickly on mobile devices. Appro- where appropriate, graphics should be served as SVG sprites so that they load quickly, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I've been doing a similar thing with um, a client, a charity recently. I've been helping them. They, they're looking for a new CMS and the size, the size that they are, they'll probably have a custom CMS that's owned and continually maintained by a company. And so I've been trying to advise them on what they need to look for in responsive design, like how to make the CMS suitable for responsive design that they want eventually and the way to structure that. And it is, a, it feels really good to be able to help them in that way to help make sure that they're not going to make the mistake of just going with the first people with a sort of flashy idea or a gimmick. I put something about the CMS in here because, you know, I've, I've looked at what Adam needs and I think Perch is going to do a great job for it. And I, you know, I'm not just saying that because it's Drew and Rachel and, you know, they sponsored the, the podcast. You know, it, it's what we use. Yeah. So I put down here that, you know, you know, we'd like our website to be developed with Perch. We'll probably also need, you know, forms of MailChimp add-ons and backup add-ons and stuff like that. So hopefully somebody's going to get this and they go, oh, we don't have to, we don't have to stress over it. We you know, hopefully there's enough information here, but not too much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What have we got here? Three pages, no, four pages of this proposal and some of my kind of big type as well. So it's not kind of, it's not packed. <laughs> well, that sounds like if, if you received that, you could very easily write a, a good estimate with plenty of information in it. Well, he's got a good budget, you know, so I didn't want him to just stumble into somebody, you know, however, however people find you. I wanted him to go to people that I, I trust and I recommend. And I gave him, you know, half a dozen different names and told them, you know, told him exactly who to contact. But yeah, this whole kind of RFP thing is, is interesting. And I think that what was interesting about this, there was, a, they don't talk about the technical stuff. They wanted some integration with uh, a back-end system. They wanted anything that they put into the CMS to be um, exportable so that they could hook it up to, you know, what do they put here, in-house database system. Uh, well, I have no idea. No clue no. what that is involved. So I did say to, you know, the lady on the phone, I don't even know whether that's possible. I have no idea whether or not, you know, you can do that because, you know, I don't know the system um, that, that you have and, you know, potentially what its input uh, capabilities are, let alone the export from the CMS. And you know what she said, she said, oh, well, we just put that down as a nice to have. <laughs> well, it's good that you rang then. Well, because you, you could spend ages stressing about that and trying to figure out whether or not that could be done or not. Yeah. So this is the thing I think with, with, with briefs is, you know, you don't want to put too little in there, you know, make things too vague and you don't want to make things too specific. No, and you should really label things if they are nice to have. So no, it's interesting. I think it, it's, it's taught me a lot to be on the other side of it. You know, having these two things kind of back to back. Yeah. Give me a, a nice perspective on. Because yeah, what what must it be like? I mean, I have no idea how to commission, you know, an architect because I've never done it. No, I I had trouble the other day, con- like talking to a window cleaner <laughs> because I didn't know. I they were they asked for a, distri- a description of the job, so I was just like, um, okay, I'll describe the windows that I have then, and I wasn't even sure what was the relevant information to give them. 
uh, the size of the window, the height of the window, the location, is that relevant information or am I just giving them loads of junk that they don't need to know? How many panes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are they sash windows or Velux windows or what? Because <laughs> no, we've got, I'm talking about windows, but we've got not that many windows in the cottage, but they've all got little panes, little sort of, what are they, sort of six by five inch little glass panes. I'm looking at the ones in the office now and there are, what is that, I can't count, 12 12 panes in this little window. Yeah, that must vary the job in some way, you'd assume, but... That's why I don't um, clean the windows. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, we can... I think and we should take that when we receive emails from potential clients and be more forgiving to them too. Because I think a lot of people are, oh, stupid person sent me this, they don't know what they're on about. Well, you shouldn't expect them to know what they're on about. No, exactly. And it's our it's our job and it's an, a good opportunity for us to demonstrate what it's like to work with us, you know, even before they make the decision to. Yeah. Because yeah, they think, oh, well, he's, he's good. He explained it really well. So hopefully this will be a nice, smooth process. Yeah, rather that's than... a huge part of the job, being able to explain things well. So on that bombshell... Oh no, is it Top Gear now? So we should wrap things up. People can follow you. On Twitter and everywhere else. Yeah, everywhere in the world. I'm Laura Calbag. Laura, if I'm La- there. Laura Calbang. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the air. <laughs> Laura Calbang. Uh, see at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> 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 I get that. I had that a lot. Okay, so actually, uh, I know that Elliot Kemba sometimes appearing on the show. Um, he's two L's and two T's in Elliot. He is. So he has registered. Um, the alternate spelling, just in case people tweet him wrong. Yeah. So have you, um, have you got Laura Calabonga on there or? <laughs> How I'd have to go so far. I think it would be too big a job. There are so many potential ways of <laughs> Hundreds of potential oh, aliases. I have Laura Cow bag, as in the animal in the thing that you carry, um, frequently as a child. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I I think I just have to trust that people will vaguely get it right. It's as long as they understand there's a K at the beginning. It's pretty much spelled how it sounds. <laughs> or they can follow me at Malarkey uh, to ask us questions or suggest topics. You can message the show on Twitter as people do at unfinishedbz, or you can email me he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were Scotch on the Rocks up in Edinburgh and Espresso. You can support our show by supporting them. Cheers, Laura. Cheers.